0: Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We podcast a Bible study that we post every Wednesday evening at the same time as we come together at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ for our midweek Bible classes. We know that not everybody can be with us in person, even in the Omaha area, during that particular time and we know that there are people across the country and around the world who want to be in god's word but obviously they cannot be with us because of where they live and so we're glad to be able to podcast a bible study for all of those who cannot be with us but they still want to study god's word they want to know what god's word really says And so we're thankful that you're there and that we're here. We encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Help somebody in your life grow in their knowledge of God's Word and thereby become stronger in their faith because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And maybe you'll even help somebody come closer to God, maybe even come to Him all the way through Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, being baptized for the remission of their sins. Maybe you'll help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them and for you. So share these studies. And also tell everybody to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. And when they do that, they will receive Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and a Monday through Friday daily radio program we call search the scriptures, and a a seven-day-a-week short Bible study, only about 13 or 14 minutes generally, but that will be every day, seven days a week, keeping them in God's Word and, again, helping them to grow in their faith and come closer to God and to be more focused on their spiritual life. So tell everybody you can, and take advantage of all of these opportunities yourself as well. We're going to get back into our study from the book of John and that is actually the gospel account according to John and we have said there are four gospel accounts of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ his life and his ministry upon this earth as God sent him from heaven to bring the gospel message of salvation to mankind and to also fulfill the old testament prophecies of the coming savior the messiah and to then tra- to to lead the first the Jewish people, but then through that through them and those who be, would become Christians, people everywhere, all of the Gentiles, transition from the Old Testament law of Moses into New Testament Christianity. So Jesus came in Matthew chapter sixteen. He said to establish his church, but he brought that gospel message, and his whole ministry was was to bring to an end the Old Testament period of history and then transition into the New Testament period of history under which we live today and under which we will live until the Lord comes again on that final day of judgment, whenever God determines that will be. Now, we're going to pick up with chapter 8. We went through chapter 7 last time, and we're going to pick up with chapter 8 now. And again, John's Gospel account is different, you know, greatly than than the format or the focus of the other three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're very parallel. John kind of goes in a, in a different direction of emphasis. All of them, exactly God's Word, all of them talking about the ministry of Jesus upon this earth and his being our Lord and Savior and God's, uh, God's only begotten Son. But John's focus is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke the focus in those three gospel accounts. Now, we pick up with chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and this would have been just a little east of the city of Jerusalem. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. It's interesting that Jesus, and and remember now, his ministry upon this earth only lasted about three years or so. Most of his physical life, growing up into manhood, you know, from childhood, from birth, childhood, and then into manhood, most of that period, we don't know much about. We, of course, know about his birth. We have a couple of statements about his kind of childhood and growing up years, but very, very, very brief and then as he becomes a young adult, uh, we don't have anything really about that in the scripture accounts until Jesus begins his public ministry. And then we begin seeing his physical life portrayed before us in, you know, from the image of him going about teaching the gospel to people everywhere. And his focus was going to be primarily upon the Jewish people because they were the ones who had the Old Testament prophecies uh, and they were the ones who were supposed to be expecting the Savior to come and should have been most ready for him to appear on the scene. But unfortunately, by and large, now many of the, many of the Jews became Christians. They became dedicated faithful followers of Christ. But the vast, vast majority of them did not. They rejected Jesus as the Savior, rejected him as the, as the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, and they went on following the law of Moses. Now, that's unfortunate, but that was the reality of that particular time. And to this day, the vast, vast, vast majority of Jewish people still do not believe in Jesus, as God's only begotten son and our Lord and Savior. They're still living under to one degree or another the Old Testament law of Moses. Well, but they've made they've made adjustments along the way. No more animal sacrifices, for instance, you know, and so on. Okay. Well, so Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to, into the temple and all the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. Now, he had, in that short period of time that he had been going about in his public ministry teaching the gospel, teaching people that he is the Savior, he is the sa- the Son of God, he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that God sent him with this gospel message in that short period of time. Now, again, from beginning to end, his, his public ministry on this earth was only about three years, and yet wherever he went, or at least to a great extent— and over and over again where he would go people would hear that he was there and crowds would come to him they would come to hear him teach in some cases some would come to bring sick people or maybe themselves who were sick or infirm in some way to be healed and so this is the case here early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, that's interesting that they caught her in the very act of adultery. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, that is, executed by stoning. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to, to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at first. Or in other words, throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in in the midst. Now think about this. So here are these detractors of Jesus, disbelievers, and they're scribes and Pharisees, so they would have been looked up to within the Jewish community as, as religious leaders to one degree or another. And so they, somehow, they have caught this woman in the very act of committing adultery on her husband. In other words, she was having sexual relations with another man to whom she was not married while being married to her true husband. Somehow, they caught her in the very act, but they brought her to Jesus and accused her publicly before him, testing him, seeing what he would do if he would follow what they understood the law of Moses to be, and order her execution by stoning. But Jesus simply stooped down. He just started writing in the ground. Now, we're not told whether he picked up a stick and started writing something, or he was using his finger. We're we're not told. But he's writing something in the ground. I've wondered for a long time what he was writing. (laughs) Have you? Well, so those challengers, they the ones testing Jesus, they continue to ask him. And after a while, he stands up, and he simply says to them, he who is without without sin, let him cast the first stone. Whichever one of you is absolutely pure, sinless, you pick up the first stone and throw it at her. And the conscience of those men started really working on them, and they became convicted by their own conscience, and they just started walking away, one by one, beginning with the oldest and then going down to the youngest. And so all of a sudden, it was just the woman standing there in the midst, of Je- in, 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 in the midst where Jesus was. Verse 10 says, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? has no one condemned you? She said, to, she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, if the text ended there, there would probably be a whole lot of people in our, in our modern present-day culture in the United States of America right now who would either cheer vocally <laughs> or at least their mind, in their mind to themselves, they would be cheering. Yeah, what were those men doing? Accusing this woman, bringing her to Jesus. Who were they to judge her? But Jesus did not end his statement to her at that point. He said, "Neither do I condemn you." And then he said, "Go and sin no more." He did not excuse her act of adultery. He did not excuse her excuse her blatant sinfulness. He ex, he excused her. And I think we can say at this particular point that he probably, in his statement, neither do I condemn you, he, ex- he expressed to her his judgment of forgiveness, being God the Son. But he then told her, instructed her, commanded her as the Savior, go and sin no more. She was not to go back to that man with whom she had been committing adultery, she was no longer to be unfaithful to her true husband. She was to become a repentant sinner and sin no more. And I think especially in the way that she had been caught sinning through the act of adultery, because that was the focus of why she was there in that particular, at that particular moment, on that particular occasion. In verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And of course, this also should have been an instruction an instruction to all of those who were still there. Now, remember, when when those Pharisees and scribes brought the woman to him, he was already in front of a crowd of people who had come to hear him, come to be near him. Now, those accusers the scribes and the Pharisees, they'd left. But that crowd of people were still there. And perhaps that woman was still there in that that general setting. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Now, darkness would be a word that would be descriptive of sinfulness, I believe, in this particular occasion. He told that woman, go and sin no more but they shall have light, the light of life. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, he used those terms, those figures of light and darkness to distinguish between God and sinfulness, unrighteousness, wickedness, evil. Somebody who is living a lifestyle of sinfulness is living in darkness, the darkness of sin somebody who is walking with God in faithful obedience consistently is living in the light of godliness and of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, we move on to verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. So their charge was, you're telling us you're God, the Son. You're telling us you're the Savior come to earth, the Messiah prophesied in Old Testament scriptures on a numerous basis, but you're, you're just telling us. Your, your testimony, your witness is not true. In verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I come from, where I am, where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. Jesus was not backing down. He was not being intimidated by their charge that you're simply lying. You're simply a a charlatan. You're, you know, a ruse. You're somebody who is just trying to take center stage, call attention to yourself, declaring yourself to be the Savior, come to earth. But you're not really. You're just lying. You're a fraud. No, Jesus didn't back down. He says, "I, I know. I'm not... I'm not telling falsehood. I am telling the truth. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. You do not know where I came from, and you do not know where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Now, there again, he's declaring himself to be from God. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Well now, was he saying that God is speaking to you verbally, telling you I am his son? Telling you I am the Savior, the Lord? Well, no, God was God the Father was bearing witness of Jesus while he was during his while he was there in his public ministry through signs and wonders and, and miracles. God's power was being demonstrated through Jesus continually during his ministry on this earth. In verse 19, they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And and this is an intriguing statement on the part of Jesus because he is identifying himself as being one with God the Father. And there we come back to the singularity of the Godhead, if you would, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet three personalities, three in one, but one God, as Moses declared in, in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And, and so Jesus is saying, uh, my father is born witness of me. You don't know me nor my father. You, you reject me, you're rejecting my father. You reject Jesus, you're rejecting God. And so all of those people in the world today, we can understand. And this is, this is tough. It's a hard truth for a whole lot of people. And it's a hard truth for a whole lot of people who would say, well, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I don't think we, we, ought, we ought to deny that somebody who is religious, who believes in God, but does not believe in Jesus, I don't think we ought to to say that their their belief system is, is wrong necessarily. Well, explain to me then what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you know me, you know the Father. If you know the Father, you know me. If you truly know the Father, it's not okay to believe in God the Father, but not in Jesus, the Lord and Savior, God the Son. It's a package deal. They go together. And so Jesus says, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would also have known my father also. Because again, they are both God. Not two different gods. They are God. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. No, but he had enemies already, enemies who wanted to lay hands on him and do away with him. Verse twenty-one. Then Jesus said to them again, "I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. For where I go, you cannot come." Now this is a pretty scathing statement. They would die in their sin because they're rejecting the Savior. Without the Savior, there is no forgiveness. So, so the Jews said. Will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. In other words, you're, you were born here on this earth. You're, you're physical in, in nature. And yet they had a spiritual being that is a soul because they were created in God's image. But he says, I'm from above. I'm from heaven. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe in me, do not believe that I am he. In other words, the Savior, God, the Son, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Faith in Jesus is absolutely, absolutely essential to our eternal salvation. Verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say, and no judge or and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They should have known who he was by this time. He's been saying it openly, but they were still rejecting him, still challenging him. In verse twenty seven, They did not understand that he spoke to them of the father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. When he says, when you lift up the son of man, he's talking about, he's foretelling his crucifixion. In verse 29, he goes on and says, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Over and over again, Jesus declared that he came to do not his will, but the Father's will. On the night of his betrayal in John 17, in verse 17, that particular immediate context there, he says, I've fulfilled my mission, basically. I've done your will. In verse 29, he goes on and says, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And he spoke these words, and as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Many believed in him. Jesus openly and repeatedly and consistently taught during his public ministry on this earth as to who he is, God the Son, the only begotten of the Father, the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah come to earth, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Savior. Jesus repeatedly, clearly, straightforwardly, and consistently identified himself as such on an ongoing basis. And yet, even though he performed, from our perspective, countless miracles, wonders, and signs, because we only have a small, I'm, I'm sure we only have a small sampling of such that is ac- that are actually recorded in the Scriptures for us. John, as he was closing this particular Gospel account, in the last couple of chapters, of the gospel according to John, he he declared as much. He said many other things did Jesus do or perform upon this earth. But he said, these have been written that you may believe. And that's the way the Bible is written by God's guidance upon those who were the penmen or wrote down his very words. He didn't give us all of the extraneous details. He gave us the information that we really needed. John even said as he closed this particular book that if everything that Jesus did was written down, he said, I suppose that the world could not contain all the books. Now, that's hyperbole, obviously, but he was making the point. Not everything that Jesus did, not every conversation he had with the apostles Undoubtedly, not every occasion when he sat down and taught groups of people are actually recorded in the Scriptures, but enough is recorded that we can know without any question who he is in relationship to us and mankind and God the Father. He is the Son of God. He is God the Son. He is the Savior, the Lord. The Messiah. And the proof continues to be expressed through the scripture accounts and through the examples of how the Christianity that he brought to mankind, to this world, has changed the world and has changed mankind. How blessed we are to have such a Savior and such a Father in heaven. God the Father. We'll stop here. We'll pick up with verse 31 next time and plan to bring this particular chapter to a close. Chapter 8. You can read ahead. Let's pray. Father, you are the awesome God. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your Son into this world to be our Savior, to bring the gospel message of salvation to us, and also to die on that cross as the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Help us to open our eyes. Help us to open our hearts to understand and believe and then to respond in repentance and obedience. We pray, Father, guide us in this and through our turning to you through Jesus that we can glorify you, Father. Please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.